Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Uh, like they said, my name is Van. I am a, uh, I'm a black guy who identifies as a Filipino. <laughs> and I love Jollibee. And you will get that joke later on. You'll get it. You'll see what I'm talking about. But we're going to start a new series that's only for two weeks. It's called No Filter, okay? Nice little background there. And with No Filter, what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring people, especially the next generation, back to the true source of identity and purpose. Because we need to know who we are, okay, in this generation. We need to know who we are as people of God. And to start us, uh, start us off, I have a quick question for you. Who loves food? I love food. I maybe love food a little bit too much. It may not look like it, but I love food. And I especially love soul food. Okay, Soul food is commonly associated with uh, African-Americans back in the, in the States. And here's a little definition of soul food, if you were wondering. This is from Wikipedia. You know how Wikipedia is. Soul food is a variety of cu cuisine originating in the southeastern United States and from African-American culture. Anthony knows what I'm talking about. It is common in areas with a historical presence of African-Americans. <laughs> and has been a cultural staple among African-American and American Deep South communities for centuries. The expression soul food originated in the mid-1960s when soul was a common word used to describe African-American culture. Two highlights there. That it was, this soul food was a staple of their culture, and that soul was used to describe the African-American culture. Food is important to culture, is it not? Food is, is very important to, to culture. It's part of the, the people. Here's the point I'm getting to. Food is just one part of culture in which a whole people find their identity in. People find their identity in the culture they grow up in. That's why it's so, you know, that's why we put names in front of food. You have Chinese food, you have Italian food, you have American food, you know, you got tomorrow food, tomorrow barbecue. Here's a definition of culture it's the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, uh, racial, religious, or social group. See, all these things are present as we grow up in it. And as a part of every nation, we prioritize the campus. We prioritize the next generation because we have to know that they're growing up in culture and that culture is shaping and molding them as individuals. 
And as beautiful as the many different cultures there are in the world, there will always be flaws in culture. There will always be dark spots in different cultures. And these dark spots can put a filter on the way people see themselves. See, imagine taking a picture and looking at that picture. See, that picture is unadulterated. It's clear. That's, what, that's the way God sees you. He says, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my image. But when we grow up in a culture, when, when hurtful words are said, or situations happen in our lives, people start to put filters on that image. And when they look at themselves, they're looking through a certain filter. And God wants to break those filters down. He wants you to see you for who you are through his eyes. That's why it's so important that we as a people, that the next generation know what their true identity is, what their true source is. So if you guessed it, we're talking about identity today. We need to believe that we were formed and loved by God the Father. Before we pray, I just want to say I love talking about identity. About two years ago, it really changed my life as I live as a Christian. Identity, when you truly know who you are, you have no more fear. I mean, yes, we live in a fallen body. There's going to be things that tempt us. There's going to be things that are put into our head by the enemy. But man, when you're solid in the word, when you know who you are, There's no fear. There's no more anxiety. You can walk in the midst of a storm. Let me just quickly pray before we get into our message. Lord Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you're going to speak to our hearts, Lord Father, that you're going to set something solid in us, Lord Father, a solid foundation of who we are, and your eyes. I pray, Lord Father, that we go forth from this day knowing who we are in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So the person in the Bible we're going to look at today is Paul, especially how he was before and after he met Jesus, before and after the conversion, because Paul had two versions of himself. He had two identities. There was Saul, and there was Paul. Okay, Saul and Paul. And it's relatable, especially to the students today, because identity will play a huge role in the way you look at life, how you walk through life. I mean, a lot of times, you know, I, I can remember as a student, I'm wondering, what am I, I going to do with my life? through high school, through college, who will I be to the world? And as a student, as a young person, you're constantly trying to attach to something to find identity in. So here's some background on Paul. We, we first see Paul in Acts. You know, he, he, he enters the scene when 
when Jesus ascends and, and all of a sudden the believers and followers of Jesus begin to receive opposition, persecution starts to come. And they're hiding and, and they're running from, from people that want them, want them gone. So we're going to start with um, Stephen. So see, we see Saul at the stoning of Stephen. See, Stephen was a, a mighty leader. He was one of the first church leader, leaders. And one important por, uh, part about him was that he was young. So all the young people in here, get this, Stephen was young, but he was fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. So at the end of chapter 6 in Acts, Stephen gets arrested for simply preaching the gospel, preaching something that has changed his life. And he gets arrested, and, he, and, and in chapter 7, he's before the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the religious council. And throughout the whole chapter, he begins to give this beautiful exhortation about their history, their ancestry, the prophets, and everyone before them. So he's, he's giving them the business. He's being a, a, a top-grade professor in history of his, of his lineage. But at the very end of the message, he kind of flips it on him. All, this, all of a sudden, he, he makes a very, very heavy accusation. He accuses them of murdering the Messiah and directly disobeying God. I mean, can you imagine the boldness in Stephen, the gumption he had? To walk up, I mean, to be in front of the religious leaders that day, it's almost like he just was standing under a hornet's nest and he just took a stick and just started whacking at them. I mean, these people were in charge, but he accuses them of murdering the Messiah and directly disobeying God. The very thing that they were supposed to be doing in that society as a Pharisee, you're supposed to be strict about obeying the law. So they decide to stone him. And we see that Paul is there holding the coats of the very people killing Stephen. You know, it says in chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He agreed with it. He he didn't have no remorse. There wasn't a, a doubt like, oh, maybe we shouldn't kill this young person. No, he's speaking heresy. He's speaking something that, that, it, that is a threat to, to my livelihood. Yeah, I agree with this killing. So here's Saul, and we're going to, uh, next slide, please. We're going to be looking at the identity of Saul. So Saul... Before Paul was a Pharisee, strict obedience to the law, you know, memorized a, a lot of it. And I mean, he, he thought the followers of Jesus were heretics. He thought they were a disease in Israel. He felt the need to, to want to stamp it out. 
I mean, honestly, in his, if we look at it his way, he thought he was doing a good thing, right? He thought he was doing a right thing by God. Oh, man, I'm a Pharisee. I, I obey the law. I, man, who are these people coming in following this Jesus guy that, that told some of my mentors off the other day? I don't know. I don't know about this Jesus guy and these people that follow him. They don't look like us. They don't speak like us. I mean, one is a fisherman. He's not even learned. So they didn't look the part. They didn't act the part. But my God, did they follow Jesus Christ. They were the true church. So he became zealous for God in hunting down Christians. You've ever been so zealous for something, to get rid of something? Mine is ants. You can ask my wife. It will be like 1.37 in the morning. If I see an ant, where's that ant coming from? Because, you know, they, I don't know, they somehow make, my, make their way to me. They leave her alone. <laughs> but I'm sitting there, you know, me, me, what, is, what is that? Why is there an ant on me? I got to see where this is coming from. So I'm checking all the window seals. I got spray in my hand. I'm ready to eradicate any ant because they make their way to me. I get really zealous. I mean, it's 1.37, 2 in the morning. I'm, I'm searching for ants. And my, and my wife is over there like, oh, this guy. So he was, he was zealous to kill Christians. It says in chapter 9 that Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I mean, that, that seems a little bit overzealous to me. I mean, every, every breath? I mean, you're not talking about anything else. So you can see how in he was in to, to bringing these, these followers to, to justice. And I mean, Saul had years and years of religious tradition backing him. He had a full religious establishment backing him. I mean, the leaders were saying, here, here's some guards. Hey, you go do your thing, brother. You're doing an awesome thing for God. Here's some guards. Go do that thing you wanted to do in uh, Damascus, that thing you were telling me about. So he starts on, on the road to Damascus, and man, he meets the one. He meets the one. You know, you know like, uh, have you ever known someone maybe to speak about someone? You know, maybe this is high school or something. Someone's speaking nasty words, you know, rumors behind somebody's back, but then they bump into them in a the hallway. And they're like, oh, what were you saying about me? Oh, you know, I, I mean it. I mean, he met the one, the God of the universe. I mean, so powerful, it knocked him down. He couldn't even see him. So he meets Jesus. And we see this in Acts 9, verses 3 through 6. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Man, he told Paul, it sounds like he sent him to time out. You know what? You go in that city, and you sit in time out, and you think about what you've been doing. By the way, you're blind. You're going to think about what you've been doing. I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me. So there's this. Next slide, please. We're going to look into the identity of Paul because after this this meeting with, with Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived, Saul becomes Paul. He goes under this great transformation. His identity is changed. I mean, his name changed, Saul. becomes Paul. But before we go on further, I I want you to take note on this, that when Saul became Paul, his zealous nature didn't go anywhere. His desire to honor God didn't go anywhere. What, What changed was his outlook, his vision. His mindset changed. His identity changed. He began to see through God's eyes. He began to see who he was truly created to be. And we know this later because in in verse 20, pull that up, it says, and immediately, not five months later, not not some time to really study the word again and see where Jesus came from. It says immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the son of God. And we know when when we're reading a scripture, people are flipping out. They're tripping. They're like, isn't this the guy that was just killing Christians? What is is going on in in here? Did he eat something? What's going on? He ate some soul food. Maybe something was in the falafel. I don't know. It was like, what is going on with this man? He, he goes to, to zealously killing them, and now all of a sudden he's one of them? See, some of the things that were instilled in him as a Pharisee didn't change. Some of the things that were formed in Paul, Paul from his culture didn't change. The difference was he was no longer blind. He now could see who God created him to be. He knew his true identity. He could now walk in a manner that honored his father. The source of identity. Living from a broken source causes false identity. Like we were talking about before, it causes us to see through this filter And it can cause someone to be or live out something they were never created to be, as we see in Paul. And I want to do a little contrast here. Next slide. So for Saul's identity, we see his source was this religious system. And he was killing Christians. He was persecuting the church, destroying lives. He was a proud Pharisee. But when his identity is changed to Paul, 
He goes from killing Christians to multiplying Christians, building the church, saving lives, humble but confident servant of God. You see the stark contrast there. It, it, it flips because he's now, he now has a right identity in God. But again, the one thing that never changed, he had no fear. Before he had this religious system backing him, why would there be anything to fear? He has the leaders backing him. But now, he has the God of the universe backing him. He's met Jesus. He's seen his power. He knows that God is above every leader that he knows. And I want to believe that he was even more confident knowing that God was in his corner. He was even more confident then. What I have to say to you, to you, if you have a true identity, you don't have to be afraid anymore. I, w- I want to say pastors Eric and Sharon, they knew their identity. They were in the midst of Hurricane YouTube. Pretty, pretty strong storm. But for them to get up here and talk about what God is doing in their life. They could, have, they could have been scared off. You know what? The church is probably down. You know what? Let's just, let's just do something else. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of this rebuilding process. You know, I don't, I don't really trust God to bring it about. No. When you're, when you're established in your identity, you can be in the midst of a storm but have peace. You could be in the midst of the storm, but trust God that no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay. That's identity. Let's look at modern issues. Modern issues in this next generation or current. We focus on youth because they have multiple sources of identity. You got family, friends, schooling, achievements, clubs, social media. The problem is, is that these sources are only temporary. You know, you have an identity as a high school student. You're going to graduate. You have an identity as a college student. You're going to graduate. You can't stay in the same club forever. You can't have that same achievement forever. Things are temporary. It reminds me of uh, a football quarterback, and he shows up at the family reunion or or the the class reunion, and he has a big old gut, maybe a beard, and he's still wearing that tight old jacket he wore in high school. For some reason, he can't get past that time in his life. He can't get past what once defined him. He couldn't move on. The other problem is that these sources can be restrictive, hurtful, and even damaging. What I was alluding to, the actions of loved ones that may have scarred us. Those mean kids at school one day that said something or did something to you. They can damage our identity. And we see a lot of that going on in our culture today, in our news, and some of the movements going on. We, saw, we see a lot of identity 
crises going on because they're built off faulty and broken sources. And one common source today of their identity is for young people to define themselves, to look within. What am I feeling? Let me listen to my heart. Let me find myself. They become their own source of identity. And you know, this is a big problem because we know what the Bible says about our own hearts. They will deceive us. If we don't have who created us guiding us, we will be deceived by our own heart. We will rationalize sin. We will rationalize a belief so that we can feel comfortable. So that we can get what we want. And we find this in movies, songs, vlogs, video games, etc. Adam Mabry is a pastor in, in an Every Nation church in, in Boston. He calls this expressive individualism. And it says, expressive individualism, sorry, holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. And he goes on to say that this is driven by a deep sense of entitlement to be left alone, to live in a way that is emancipated from the demands and expectations of others, to being able to fashion its own way its own life, and the ways it wants to, to being able to develop its own values and beliefs in its own way, to resist all authority. To be free in these ways, many have come to think is indispensable to being a true individual. And I have a video right here that I think perfectly, except let me tell you what, oh, let me tell you what this video is about. There is, a, there is a guy in America that identified as being a Filipino. Okay? Now, if you would have saw this video, it would have been a little bit more, you know, funny. But he, he calls jeepneys tuk-tuks. And I was asking around, and I was like, is there tuk-tuks in the Philippines? No, they're jeepneys. So he identifies as a Filipino... But he, he doesn't even know the transportation. I mean, you know, I'm offended that he, he thinks that he's one of us, us Filipinos. <laughs> I mean, he, he doesn't even know our transportation. He probably has never even had Jollibee. But this man thinks he's a Filipino. See, that's what, the point I wanted to make. This... It's, it's about what they feel. And it's not God, what, who God created them to be. Let me tell, tell you who you are, especially young people. You are his. You are God's. Let me make it a little bit more relatable. You know, God came down in the form of Jesus Christ. And he shed his blood for you. Your worth is immeasurable. Your value is anything, it's more than anything that this world could ever give you. Likes on Facebook, views on YouTube, 
It's more than any fame you could attain here on earth. It's more than any praise you could get by any celebrity here on earth. You belong to God. It says in Genesis 1.27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, we all want to be known and loved, but that's there so that you can seek God. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to, for you to know who you are. It also says in Ephesians 1.5, Ephesians, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It also says in John 15. Verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Walk in his image. Walk in his image. You don't have to see yourself through any filter. He's giving you an identity, a son or a daughter in him. You can walk fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're fully in his hands. He can protect you and provide for you when no one else can. When no one else can. He will, because he's your father. He meant for you to embrace your calling, to be able to walk around, Not with a haughty spirit, but to be humble and confident in him. And as I begin to close, can I get the keyboarders to come up? See, um, I have a little personal testimony about my own identity. You know, when I was growing up, uh, a lot of times in high school, you're, you're getting your identity from your peers. You know? I was on the football team and you get, sometimes you get your identity to where you, are, where you are on the depth chart, how your peers see you, how other people think of you. And coming to know my identity set me free from a lot of things. It set me free from thinking that maybe God was mad at me because I didn't read my word in consecutive days. Set me free from him giving me a stern warning or something like that, set me free from, from the lies the enemy was actually telling me about my salvation and about who I was. When I, when I could see myself through God's eyes, it set me free. And I'm hoping that can be the same for you today. If you're having issues with your identity. See, church, walk in your God-given identity because when you do, you're able to see the value in others because you see the value in yourself, especially the next generation. Be an example so that they can say, I know what it looks like to see a Christian walk out their faith fully empowered 
by the Holy Spirit. There's so much potential in the youth, in our campus. As a church, let's commit ourselves to showing them their identity in Christ so that they can live healthy and prosperous lives for God because they can see who they are with no filter. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are showing us who we truly are. Lord, Father, I pray that as we live this life out, Lord, Father, that we honor you in it, that we believe what it says in the word of God about who you say we are. Lord, Father, that it could break any chains. Lord, Father, any lies that have been told. Lord, Father, any filters that have been put up, Lord, Father, I pray that you would bring those down right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, Father, that everyone in here would see themselves through your eyes, that that they are loved, that they are valued, that they were worth the sacrifice. No matter what they do, Lord, Father, they that they are worth the sacrifice of your son. Now, Father, I just pray that you would do a special thing right now and in everyone's hearts. Now, Father, establish a firm foundation. Establish a true identity, Lord Father, that nothing this world, that nothing in this world could, could ever amount to up to. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.